0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, hello. It's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, And for those online, thank you for watching as well. We're glad you could join us. As per usual, we'll be continuing our sermon series, This is the Will of God for Us, as we discover what God's will is for us according to His Word. Um, and so far, just a quick overview, so far in the series, we've learned that God's will is for us to trust and abide in Him with the time that we've been given, uh, that God's will is for us to be saved and satisfied in Him through Jesus Christ. And then in turn proclaim this salvation, this good news, the gospel to the world. Uh, that God's will is for us to be thankful in everything, in all circumstances. And finally, that that God's will is for us to be sanctified and molded into His living temple. With Christ being the cornerstone. So that He can work His will in and through us. So basically... Um, we've been learning so far in this series about how god or about what god wills to do within us, right? in in regards to renewing, restoring and sanctifying us into his image. and so from there and since we're basically at the halfway mark of the sermon series, we're going to be switching gears a little bit now as we discover that one of the reasons god desires to change us internally is so that we can partner with him in accomplishing his will in an external sense. That is, we've become and are being made into temples of God, filled with his presence, precisely so that we can proclaim and bring it into the world. Um, Mark, I'm just going to turn this amp down. Is it on standby? Is that the amp doing that noise? <laughs> sorry for the interruption. There's a loud brr. Still there? Is that? It's getting louder. Yep. Can you just mute the acoustic? Thanks, sorry about that. So anyways, um, Pastor uh, Mark, Say- Mark Sayers, he, he describes what I'm talking about um, like this. It's a, a basic system of a, a rainwater tank. The, the rainwater tank, you know, we've all seen a rainwater tank, right? It's uh, filled by the rain, and then it fills up, right? And then, in turn, we would use its reserve to water the garden, right? Um, so in a spiritual sense... That's what God does in us. Through Christ, He fills us up by His Word, by His Spirit, so that we can spread His living water into the world. Does that make sense? So um, He He writes it like this He says, The input is God's presence. By delighting in God's presence through His way and His words, health flows into our system. For us as individuals and communities, health will come through God's presence, the revelation of His closeness through His Word, and the wisdom it provides. So fruit is the result of having God as our input. It's the output that feeds and nourishes others, contributing to the health of a bigger system. For we don't exist as unconnected individuals, we are connected to a more extensive system. That last sentence in that quote is key. We don't exist as unconnected individuals. We are connected to a more extensive system. Or as Jesus says, I am the vine and we are the branches, right? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches which bear good fruit. Therefore, we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. And before I go any further, I want to emphasize that this is important, this is an important thing to grasp, because I think that when we're trying to figure out God's will for our lives, usually our number one concern is what? What's God's will for my life? Right? So, so we have a tendency, especially in our, in our hedonistic and individualistic culture to be more concerned with ourselves and our own personal path or success over and above anyone else's. But what we'll be learning from this point on in the series is that our wills and our paths are purposefully intertwined. God's will is not just about me, it's not just about you, but it's about us. It's about us. And in that regard, this is the will of God for us, which we'll be learning about today, that we do good works. That we do good works, which in turn bear good fruit for the glory of God and the good of others. So if you want to turn with me now, we're going to read Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. A short little passage here. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And we'll be expounding upon that. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So, this, this passage isn't really that complicated, right? He's saying that we've been saved by Christ precisely so that as a new creation, we can now freely live out the lives where we were created for, and therefore do the good works within the world which God has willed and prepared for us. So, God does his good work in us so that we can, in turn, do good works in his name. Of course, It's important to clarify at this point that doing good works isn't a means to salvation or a way to get on God's good side like it is for every other religion, but that rather our good works are an evidential response to the fact that we've already been saved by grace alone through the perfect work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. As uh, theologian John Stott writes, good works are indispensable to salvation— not as its ground or means, however, but as its consequences and evidence. Formerly we walked in trespasses and sins in which the devil has trapped us. Now we walk in good works, which God has eternally planned for us to do. So in other words, again, since we've been saved and molded into the likeness of Christ internally, we should now also act like it externally. Or as James 2.26 reminds us, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So the evidence of our faith in Christ, the evidence that we've been saved and given a new heart, the evidence of our faith is revealed in us through a new way of living that no longer resembles the world, but Jesus Christ. And and again, one of the ways in, in um, one of the ways this new way of living is, is manifested externally and practically in us is through doing good works. So this is God's will for us as, as we live in this world. That's the reason that, that we're still here. That's the reason we're not just saved and then taken into heaven. The reason we're still here, we're saved, is to do good works as we await Jesus' return. Titus two eleven 11-14 says it like this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, that's through Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So again, we've been saved and are being purified in Christ as living temples to be a people zealous, that, that is committed and excited about doing good works. This is the will of God for us. Theologian Francis Schaeffer once wrote, if, if we are Christians, we have understood and acted upon the finished work of Christ once for all at our justification and our guilt is gone forever. Now, let us understand and act upon the practice of that same work moment by moment in our present lives. And finally, Colossians 2 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so if we're not walking, if we're sitting around in a spiritual sense, right, if we're sitting around doing nothing, or or living hedonistically or selfishly for, for, for our own good, if we're not doing good works which bear good fruit for the benefit of others and the glory of God, chances are we're not faithfully abiding in Christ. As Jesus once said so bluntly in Matthew 7, 18-21, he said, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, but nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by Their fruits. So, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Very convicting words. And again, these words, this message from Jesus here, isn't meant to be scaring us into doing more works. It's not to scare us into doing more things, but rather it's meant to draw us to Jesus who is the only one who can both save us and fill us with a desire to do the will of God and to do good works apart from Jesus the vine we we the branches cannot do the type of good works which bear good fruit but as we abide in him we can and will those who are truly saved will be zealous for it that's why Jesus tells his disciples that they'll know they're his friends when they're obedient to his commandments And to clarify, it's not the obedience that makes them friends with Jesus. Rather, it's their existing friendship with him that leads them into obedience. Good works are the evidence of our faith and relationship with Christ. On that end, though, it it, it seems like there are often two particular things that that I've noticed, uh, which we as Christians tend to get confused about, when it comes to doing good works. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things, but two, two prim- primary things I wanna talk about this morning is, number one, we, we tend to be unclear as to how often and how much we should do good works, which I'll discuss momentarily. And, and number two, we, we, we all tend to have different definitions or ideas of what good works are. For example, Every Friday morning, the, the garbage truck drives through our back alley in order to pick up our garbage or our recycling, depending on the week. So from my perspective, that's, that's a good thing. And I appreciate that they do that each week. They, they take our garbage away from us. That's good. Um, but our dog, our dog has a different opinion on the matter, right? She, she sees the garbage truck as this evil and invasive intruder and therefore when the truck drives by, she's more than ready, she knows when it's Friday, she's more than ready to chase it off with barks and snarls, Right? she runs to the back fence, she's so intense, she almost runs into it. Uh, She gets so zealous, so intense and focused on the task that we that we can basically do nothing to stop her from barking like an enraged beast. Even, even though she's like usually a pretty chill dog and well behaved at any other moment during the week. Um, but she gets so crazy when the garbage truck comes. One time she even ripped through our screen door. She just ran right through it in order to get outside and chase away this evil intruder. And, and, and what's hilarious about all of it is, is that after she supposedly chased away this truck, and we let her back inside the house, without fail, every single time, without fail, she'll head straight to the jar where we keep her treats, and then she'll look at us like, well, are you going to reward me for this incredibly good thing I just did? You know that look that dogs give you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, and, and, and every time we're like, no way! No, you, you were being a bad girl, right? <laughs> but yet, every week, she thinks she deserves it. She thinks she's doing a good work. And, and in a similar way, m- m- my guess is that we, we probably all have slightly different ideas of what it means to do good works and even different ideas as to why we're supposed to do them. And probably sometimes we think we're doing a good work and we're not. Even historically speaking, we can look back and see sometimes how people thought they were doing a good work on behalf of the Lord when in fact they probably weren't. like Things like the Crusades, you know, that's a really good example, or the witch trials, right? Those kinds of things come to mind. More recently, the Westboro Baptist activities come to mind, or, or the way some Christians uh, tweet on Twitter come to mind as well. And, and, and the truth is that many of us today, more than we realize, if we're honest with ourselves and, and examine ourselves, we... we, we we probably have more of a secularized or politicized perspective of what good works are and why we should do them um, because of the, 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 cr- the crazy influence of the many political and social justice movements in our culture and society today. And it, Some we can get behind, some, some we can't, but it's hard to sift through those things, right? Um, and in contrast to that, many people probably have a very legalized perspective of good works Right? Maybe they see them as strict religious activities that we need to do, that, that we have to check off our list in order to appease God or get him to listen to us. So with all that being said, it's, it's, it's not only important for us to be reminded that it's God's will for us to do good works, but it's also important for us to discover what they are and why he calls us to do them. We need to understand those things, especially the why he calls us to do them. So what exactly are these good works that we should be zealous for? What are these good works? Well, unfortunately, the question isn't just simply answered with a list of activities for us to choose from. Life is more complicated than that, right? I'll I'll still get to some examples in a bit. But first of all, in, in order to really understand what good works are, we need to have a grasp on what they're meant to accomplish. And to do this, we, we're going to go back to, to Genesis 1 and 2, where we find that God has created the world and everything in it. And of course, after each day, what did he call it? Good. He called it Good. And then within the Garden of Eden itself, he created man and woman in his own image. He created them to dwell in his presence and also gave them a purpose in which to work in and take care of his creation. And about this, what did he call it? Very good. That's right. Very good. But unfortunately, these days we kind of have a really simplistic or watered-down use of the word good, Right? Like someone will say, how's it going? And we'll answer, I'm good, right? It basically means nothing, right? Or or we think good simply means something that's right or a job well done or another word for being kind or nice. So it's very simplistic, right, Our, our use of the word good these days. But we need to realize that when the Bible uses the word good, as we see in Genesis, It's it's actually referring to that which lines up with God's purpose, with God's character and his intended creation. It's referring to to the perfection, righteousness, and shalom in which God designed us to live in and dwell. So it actually has a huge meaning. And, And shalom, by the way, if you don't know, is the Hebrew word for peace, which also means completeness and wholeness. So, so, as we learned over the past couple of years, God's will is, is to first bring us back into that shalom by undoing the effects of our sin, which brought us outside of the goodness of the garden and outside of his presence. Again, he accomplishes this will through the perfect work of Jesus, the only one who is truly good, who came to restore and reconcile us back to God and into his original design. And this work of restoration, as we've been learning with him, is done firstly in our hearts, But then secondly, he calls and equips us to partner with him in proclaiming and modeling this goodness and shalom in the world. As it says in Matthew 5.16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So To put it another way, our good works are meant to be expressions and reflections of His good kingdom and character. When people see our good works, they should know who God is and what His creation is meant to look like. Our good works should point the world to Christ. And on that note, Jesus said we'll even do greater works than Him which will bring people to believe in his name. So Jesus is not only our source in this, but he's also our perfect example. Which means then that, that specifically speaking, whatever good works are, we know above all that their purpose is to reflect what Jesus accomplished and came to do. Right? Our good works should promote restoration, unity, and reconciliation with God and with others. We know that good works are meant to seek and promote peace and mutual edification, that they should reflect the grace, mercy, generosity, selflessness, and love of Christ, that they should promote joy, equality, and justice. They should lift up the lost and marginalized as well as one another within the church. And that ultimately they should be done to proclaim and promote the name of Jesus for the glory of God." As Mark Sayers again writes, "The spiritual fruit that our lives produce is part of God's plan to renew the system we know as the world." Right? God's God, good works sorry, good works produce and encourage renewal. They reflect the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And if our our good works aren't doing that, at least one of those things, or a lot of those things, they're not good works. So with all this in mind, this means we can and should use wisdom to understand and figure out what a good work is or isn't. And of course then, what we should be doing. But just in case... I'm going to read some examples now and and commandments from Scripture that that can also help guide us or give us an idea of what good works are and what we're called to do. So I'm just going to read through a whole bunch of verses, and and we're going to learn quickly from those. I'm not going to expand on any of them. I'm just going to read through them. So they're commandments and examples of good works that we've been told to do. So Titus, we'll start with Titus 3:14. It says, "And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need." and not be unfruitful. So good works are helping cases of urgent need. Romans 12, 13, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints, so help people within the church, and seek to show hospitality. Be hospitable. Hebrews 13, 16, says, do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So having a good work ethic in your job is is a good work under the Lord. Ephesians 4 also gives us a list which reminds us that as citizens of the kingdom, we should speak truthfully, work with integrity, be generous, speak only in a way that builds others up, and be obedient to the word and the guidance of his spirit. In 1 Timothy 6, the apostle Paul instructs those who are wealthy to trust in God and be ready to be generous and to share in what they've been given. 1 Timothy 5:10 gives a list of good deeds that a widow should exemplify, but we can also learn by it. It says and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, right, in the way they should go, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints has cared <clears throat> excuse me cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work james one twenty seven says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus also tells us that what we do to the least of these, we do to him. In Matthew 25, 36, he personifies himself as the very marginalized people that we're told to help with good works. He says this, he says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. And on that end, the, the word tells us to do things like bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to make disciples, to be obedient to Christ. And the list goes on. We could just go through the whole Bible. The, the list goes on, right? But ultimate, ultimately, as it says, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of the Lord. This means doing good works isn't about doing a couple of good things throughout our week and checking that off our list. No, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's who we are. As a side note, this doesn't mean we're supposed to be super busy all the time until we burn out. God also created us to rest sometimes as well. We don't use rest as an excuse, but God did create us to rest, and he commanded us to rest sometimes as well, which in a sense is a good work which honors the Lord. So yes, we're called to make the best use of the time and doing good works, but let's not go crazy here and burn out. We can't do everything. There's, as I read, there's so many good works to be done. And we can't, each of us can't do all of them, right? That's why there's a lot of us. And in the same vein, one person's good works might look different than another, so let's not judge each other or be mad that, you know, if you're really into missions but this person isn't and you're mad that they're not giving the missions, well, that's, that's your thing, that's not their thing right? Really, we're meant to give and do good works according to the grace we've been given. Which also brings up the point that I brought up earlier, that sometimes we can be unsure of what we're supposed to do and when. So, there's a lot of good works. How do we know which ones we're supposed to do and, and how much we're supposed to do, right? And, and I'm going to answer this more later in, in detail at um, in, in a later message. Um, but for now, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> it's going to get controversial maybe, I don't know. Um, but for now I want to mention that, that I think some of us fail or even limit ourselves in doing good works because we haven't specifically felt God's calling to do it. Like, say, I don't know, say you hear an announcement from the stage that we're looking for kids gay volunteers, right? There's no question. There's no question that teaching our kids about Jesus and investing in them is a good work. So thank you, Pastor Blair, for committing to doing that. But after hearing that, um, an announcement, I know that the many people won't volunteer simply because, quote-unquote, they don't feel called to do it. Or, quote-unquote, it's not a gifting that God's given me. But guess what? This is a lame excuse. And it is. That's what it is. And it is an excuse. And don't get me wrong. We should seek to be led by the Spirit, and we can definitely have specific calls from God sometimes, but that's not always how it's supposed to work. As it says in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, and, and, as, and as I've shown, we've, we've already been told in the word what's good. We've already been equipped by his spirit, and we've already been given both a new heart and the wisdom to do it. In fact, it says in the book of James that that if we don't do something we're supposed to do or that needs to be done, this is considered to be a sin. Some people call that a sin of omission. Right? It's a refusal to do what God's willed for us. And this means we, we also don't need to experience some, some big spiritual revelation or, or a, this call of God before we go ahead and do something that the Bible has already taught us to do. Right? Because we've already been called to partner with Him. And we've already been told to go and do it through the revelation of his word. We've already got that revelation from God. Why would he, why would he need to tell us again? We already know what we're supposed to do. Whether, whether, again, whether it's to contribute to the urgent needs of other believers or to be generous or to... Love mercy, to be kind to others, to walk humbly with God so that we can put others before ourselves, to build others up, to serve the poor and widows, to visit those in prison, to teach your children the word, to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, to pray for others. We already know what we're called to do, and so we should get to it. For example, I know I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church because that's in the Bible. <laughs> right? So, I'm going to try to do that every chance I get. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try to do it every chance that I get. I, I don't need to pray to God and ask Him if I should do the dishes tonight or, or go to work next week to provide for my family. Because I already know through the Word that this is a good work which will bless my wife and model Christ's love for us as the church. I'm going to ask God to strengthen me in it, but I don't need to ask for His permission. Or if a homeless man, say, say you leave church today, when you're walking downtown, a homeless man asks you for some spare change. You don't need to get on your knees and wait for a prompting of the Spirit to see if you should give him any change. No, you already know what's good to serve the poor. And so if you have change in your pocket, then give it to him. And better yet, if you're able to, you can be more, even more than generous and buy him lunch. Or, or if a missions organization needs support and you have some spare income, well, that sounds like an opportunity to me. Of course, you can certainly, again, pray for God to bless it, but you don't need to ask for His permission to do what what He's already given you a clear directive to do in His Word. Or say a new family shows up at church, and you're wondering whether you should talk with them or even invite them over to your house for dinner. And the answer is yes. You should show hospitality to them, even if you're an introvert. Or if we're in the middle of an argument, We don't need to pray about whether or not we should seek peace with one another or act mercifully in the situation through either forgiving them or asking for forgiveness. We know that this is what we should do. We know what we must do. So let's get zealous for good works. Let's get zealous for good works. And not just in big gestures once a year like a CEO of a, of a big company, right? No, but moment by moment in every circumstance and opportunity, big or small. Let's be zealous for good works. And on that end, knowing, knowing that, that God's calling us into good works should also help us and give us wisdom in, in directing and making decisions in our lives which the Bible isn't clear on. Right? If we're zealous for good works, it, it, it'll change the way we think about things like our finances and our time management and our priorities in life, how we treat others, how we raise our kids, how we work at our jobs, right? what we invest in, all these things, the list goes on. And finally then, we, we can also rejoice and have hope in knowing that God sees and rewards us for our good works and that our good works are not in vain. Again, our good works don't save us or get us on God's good side because Jesus did that for us already. We don't need to worry about that. But yet he's still pleased with those who live according to who he saved and called us to be. As it says in Hebrews 6, verse 10, it says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown for His name as you, as you have ministered to the saints and continue to do so. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. He sees what we're doing, and He will bless it. And it is not in vain. All right, we're going to get into this a little more next week. We're going to continue with this theme, but, but let's conclude this, this morning's message on that promise and with this reminder that this is the will of God for us that we do good works which bear good fruit. Let's pray. Father, when we consider Jesus and the incredible work that he did for us in rescuing us, in laying down his life for us at the cross, we give you just all the praise and, and thanksgiving for that. For our salvation, for sanctifying us into your presence, Lord. For calling us, for drawing us in, for bringing us back to you, Lord. We're going to thank you as well that you've, that you've called us to, to partner with you in bringing that, that good news into the world, Lord. That you've called us to be a people zealous for good works. And so on that end, Lord, I thank you for for those of us here this morning who who are zealous for good works. I thank you for the good works that, that have been done in this church and through your people, Lord God. And I pray that you would bless each and every person for those things. And that they they would see the 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 harvest come out of those things, Lord. But I also pray that you would just increase in us a desire to serve you more and more, Lord. That you would increase in us a desire for for good works that glorify your name, that lift up others, that proclaim your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.